you know, Shiv and I have, have had this experiment, this trial separation, but, but whatever happens, you know, we'll always be good, right? If we're good, we're good. Okay. Well, that's heartening. That's, that's heartening. I'm heartened by that. That's great. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I'm David Chen. And I'm Kim Renfro. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be discussing season four, episode one of Succession. We're going to be spoiling this episode, talking about uh, all the stuff we're theorizing and thinking about this episode, but we will not be spoiling anything from future week's episodes that includes anything on the next time on preview or anything else that we might have seen. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com, which some people did. We'll read from those emails. And find us on TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at Decoding TV, where we're posting new videos and content every single week. We hope you'll follow us on all those other platforms. Kim, it's been just a few days since we announced that you would be joining uh, me to recap Succession here on Decoding TV. I'm so thrilled uh, to have you here. And uh, we did a preview episode, which I really enjoyed because it allowed me to air my longtime grievances with jettisoned plot lines from Succession. You know, like <laughs> so many plot lines that have just been dropped over the years. And this is the last opportunity, basically, that I'll have to complain about it until maybe the very, very end of the show. I'm happy but, to to support you in your thank you so much in your journey. Thank you so much. But we also got a lot of great emails and messages in response to uh, our conversation uh previewing season four and i thought hey let's just talk about them and again you can always email us at decoding tv at gmail.com or uh become a paid member at decoding tv.com help to support this podcast get ad-free episodes and early access to episodes and uh i want to start by raising this comment up from melinda who wrote into uh decoding tv.com she commented at decoding tv.com I-, I often read from the comments melinda writes it was so great to hear kim back on the podcast Yay. That's the whole comment. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> it is it is great to hear Kim back on the podcast. Thank you. Something I've been mulling over with the upcoming premiere is how the writers craft the major plot points in the show and ground them in reality. I listened to an interview with one of the writers and they said that a lot of the pivotal plot points are grounded in real events. The season one vote of no confidence was based on something that happened at Disney when there was a no confidence vote taken against Michael Eisner. Family therapy session is based on a real life family therapy session between the Murdoch family. And I believe Kendall's FBI takedown is based on how Bernie Madoff's sons testified against him leading to his arrest. So I've been wondering a lot about what real events could be the inspiration for what will happen in the fourth season. Related to the Kendall storyline, one of Bernie Madoff's sons did die by suicide a year after Bernie Madoff was arrested. And I've been wondering if that could be something that happens in the fourth season. Also, I know this has probably been talked about uh, everywhere, but I can't get the comparison out of the... uh, I'm sorry. I can't get the comparison of the show to King Lear out of my head either. Mm. Ryan Cox played King Lear, and with Logan's health problems in the show, it just feels super similar to King Lear going mad at the end, particularly how in season three he was hallucinating when he had a UTI. And King Lear had three kids. There are three Roy kids. And spoilers for King Lear, none of them make it out alive at the end. End quote. So great thoughts by Melinda uh, with some references to other real-life events that Succession's been based off of. And also some King Lear references now. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to be the first to point out, but I am going to be, maybe, at least on this podcast, that um, Logan Roy has four children in the show. <laughs> <laughs> so therefore, the King Lear analogy is invalid. 
Um, it is, but, but it is an interesting, it's an interesting reminder that the show has also done such a good job of siloing off those three kids as like actual power players mm-hmm. instead of Connor that poor Connor's just, well, yeah, he was quite always bitter. getting left out. He was quite bitter about it in season three as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, do we think that uh, here, here's a kind of open question for you, Kim is, do we think that succession season four will end with any of the Roy's dead? And I'm going to say after season four, episode one, it does feel to me the show, it it does have its dark places, certainly, but it it feels to me much more lighthearted in tone overall. Hmm. And I I know this is an episode where like Logan muses on the nature of life and existence and also Shiv and Tom have a terrible kind of, you know, breakup to their marriage and stuff. But to, but all even factoring all that in, it's still relatively like a a rollicking good time this episode <laughs> compared to, uh, you know, yeah. episodes past. I think so. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is, I would be at this point at this moment, I would be surprised if the show ended with one or more of the Roy's dead. That's kind of where I am right now. I I think between this excellent listener email, which brought up a lot of I think good points about the real life analogies here like that that detail that Bernie one of Bernie Madoff's kids died by suicide I didn't know uh and that immediately like makes me more I I could see that happening with Kendall or another character I don't want like not to jump to the end of our season four episode one recap here but like there were points in this episode where I felt this sense of like dread come Mm. over me because I thought we were about to see something whether it was a suicide or some sort of death or like something dramatic, I was I was kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop. So it does it wouldn't surprise me if something if that instinct pays off later in the season. Okay, well I'm placing my chips on no deaths at end of uh, at end of at least of the main Roy people. And uh, are you, you are, are saying, we including Logan in that? Yes, when we say Roy deaths, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're saying possibly deaths. So that's it's our first bet of the season. Great. Uh, okay. I also wanted to raise up this email from Melissa, uh, as opposed to the decoding TV message from Melinda. Melissa writes in, uh, I was reflecting on your conversation about where you think each Roy kid is going to end up at the end of the show and how they will reflect, uh, how they'll keep the promise of succession. While my heart's choice is Kendall, I think he is the least likely successor. He wants it too much and he is too good of a fit. He is the only one with the experience necessary for the role, after all. The writers are very aware of what's going on in the real world, so I feel like it's more likely that someone egregious would be named the successor. Roman is a douchebag, Connor's a nar- narcissist, both are extremely unfit and have little to no experience in the role. I think if Shiv were to be named, it would be for virtue signaling purposes only. Waystar would use her as a look at us, we're really changing prop, but I could see her not having any real power. If I had to choose, I think it'd be Roman, because he would be the most outrageous choice, which would be most fitting for real life, in my opinion. Look forward to hearing your coverage, end quote. We texted about this message, Kim, and about like, okay, who do we actually think is going to end up on the throne? We kind of speculated a little bit in the preview episode, but I think we all said like Kendall doesn't really make sense because it's too obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you had brought up like Greg as a possibility, which would be like the most chaotic choice and very, you know, you know, spoilers for Game of Thrones. So if you don't want to know, <laughs> if you don't want to know the ending of Game of Thrones, the TV show uh then tune out after the next three seconds but at the end of game of thrones you find out that bran 
is the one who's going to be in charge of the kingdoms, which for many people struck them as a very out of the out of nowhere bizarre decision that makes absolutely no sense. Um, that would be a very brand like decision if uh, Greg was the head of the company at the end of this. Yeah, I think I think that this I think that this listener pointing out like what would be the most chaotic or like egregious choice to really sh- I because like. It all depends on where they want the company, like what the company position is going to be in the end, right? And I think if they if they want the result to be, look at how badly Logan managed his company into the ground in the twilight years of his life, appointing cousin Greg, the quote honorary kid, but like the one who was literally puking out of uh, eye holes, animal mascot eye hole at the start of the show, like would be an example of like of that of that tilt of how we're leaving with Star Royco. So I just, I like the, I like the chaos. I like the chaos of that possibility. It's not out of the realm of possibility that it would be Greg. I, I, I do think Especially this, after this episode, I think. Mm, I do think this emailer undersells uh, Roman as a choice. I think the show mm. has done a relatively decent job of fashioning Roman into a, um, a plausible choice after last season. Roman went from season one having zero competence or care about the company totally. to now he is actually a, a smooth operator as far yeah. as I can tell and uh, actually gives a crap, you know, like, and that has been one of the more interesting journeys for a character in the show, I think. And I think the show has done a pretty good job of it. Like yeah. at, at this point in the show, all three of the kids, not Connor, um, <laughs> care, care and are relatively competent. Right. And that, uh, you know, that, that that seems to be the dynamic they're going to stick with for the rest of the show. And I think that can make for some interesting stuff. It took a while to get to this point. Yeah. Um, but I do think this emailer undersells Roman as a, as a possibility. So I anyway. would agree, given how much he clearly learned from Jerry in terms yeah. of tactic and strategy. And you can watch him in this episode, I think. I, I You can almost see him going like, what would Jerry do? Or like, mm-hmm. what's the... Mm-hmm what's the best like corporate move here, which yeah, is leaps and bounds from where we saw him in the pilot. Indeed. Indeed. Um, so yeah, thanks for the email at decoding TV at gmail.com. Kim, I think this is like one of the first times I've recalled getting like a bunch of feedback even before the season has begun. So Aww. I think we're in for a very engaging uh, season with our listeners at decoding TV. And of course you can always email us at decoding TV at gmail.com or comment at decoding TV.com. So, Kim, let's talk about season four, episode one of the show. Let's start by, and we're going to spoil everything through the episode, but let's start by talking about overall thoughts on the episode. What do you think, Kim? I really enjoyed getting dropped right back into the action of the family again. I was not expecting California to be a prominent locale. Um, in retrospect, it seems very obvious, but it was like really cool to just right away get that New York versus LA energy and then have it all kind of take place over the same mostly 12-ish hours, I would guess, right? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a morning in LA to yeah. a, a nighttime in New York. So yeah, I, th- I thought the structure was super cool and I just thought immediately they were nailing all the one-liners that we love, the incredibly on-point searing satire of things like the digital media startup space yeah i it 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 hit pretty much every note from like a great succession episode that i normally look for how about you i agree i love this episode uh 
and it, it does have many of the things that we love about Succession. Heartbreak, tragedy, zingers, you know, and we should say at the end of each episode, uh, we are going to be sharing our favorite one-liner from the episode. So you can look forward to that at the end of every episode of uh, Decoding TV Covering Succession. By the way, I should point out the episode was called The Munsters. That's the mm. title of the episode. Um, the Munsters. So I th- based on Wikipedia, anyway, we're recording this before the episodes actually come out. So maybe they've changed it since then. But anyway, that's what we think it's going to be called. So uh, the... The only thing I don't like about the episode or wasn't a huge fan of with the episode was um, we've already seen a Pierce-related power grab before. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for... Uh, and by the way, the first time they went after Pierce and theoretically won, like, I don't know if you recall, uh, but they went after Pierce and he gave that whole speech about money wins. You know, I always win. Like, And it's like, oh, wow, I guess it's a really sad commentary on the state of capitalism. But then the deal doesn't go through and that's a whole it like is unwound. It doesn't go through. Like it ends tragically. Um, so you can only wring that like so much drama out of that situation because we know like, okay, well, what, what are the actual stakes here? Like, is it going to be unwound again? Like, is it actually going to go through this time? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of a thing where like, they've already gone to that well before. And if you're going to go to it again, then I hope they're playing for keeps this time. You know, I hope it's not like, oh, and this time the Roy kids failed at closing the period. Because it's like, okay, like, yeah, come on. You know, like, we've already seen this. Yeah, so, we, t- we talked about that in our preview episode about how one of the things that I want out of season four is for the Roy kids to not completely self-destruct again. Like, mm-hmm. they keep getting so close to wins whenever they're on the same team about something. And so, yeah, yeah. this whole episode being built around them getting a win with this Pierce deal, I would agree that if they just pull the rug out from under that again. It would feel really frustrating. Slash, right. I would like. I would need to fully understand why we're bothering to go back to that entire dynamic again. Just from a plot mechanics perspective, it's just kind of like why? Why are we doing this? You know. Um, on that note, Kim, I think something to just be aware of as we move through the season. Uh, I posted on uh, Instagram and TikTok our conversation about. Uh, Shiv Roy from mm-hmm. the preview episode. And somebody commented on that. I'm sorry, I don't... Pulsar Salt on Instagram commented on that Instagram reel about mm-hmm. Shiv Roy. The tragedy of Siobhan is that she isn't actually rejecting her family in season one. She's just as messed up as they are, just as invested in the politics of the family, just as scheming and underhanded as the rest of them. She's convinced herself otherwise. She believes that her family is toxic, but she's incapable of seeing how she herself is just like them. Her relationship with Tom is a sham. She uses Cousin Greg because she doesn't want anyone to sign Logan's will. She does a background check on Marsha. Shiv is broken like the rest of the Roy children, but she has a much better act on being normal. And she thinks she's much smarter than than she actually is. Dave, you're not supposed to actually like any of these people. Don't fall into the trap. They're all monsters. Now, Mm. I would argue, first of all, that Shiv is actually broken in different ways than the other Roy's. And that's what made her interesting. Yeah. But also... Kim, you know, I think this is a this is a topic that we should just be aware of where we stand on this, which is how much do you root for the Roy's? And I think you are you are genuinely earnestly rooting for them to, if not succeed, then at least triumph over their father. Um, and I think there's a very sizable contingent of viewers out there of which I am I am halfway in, perhaps, that thinks that all these people suck. And we shouldn't be rooting for any of them. And if they all suffer horribly uh, and end up in failure, that's actually the right outcome for everyone. Um, 
yeah, I think, thank you for giving me the opportunity to clarify, but I in no way, <laughs> like, yeah. think it's a good thing that any of these people are Exist. succeeding <laughs> at doing what yeah. they're doing. Yeah. Like, but I think that the, I think that succession has always been pretty careful to not really involve any people below this one percenter social circle in the storyline to show you that most of them, even like Willa or cousin Greg are highly willing to compromise their values mm -hmm. for the sake of more power and money and access. So like when I say that I feel good about like Shiv getting a win or like Kendall yeah. getting a win. Yes. What do you mean by that? Yeah. That's a credit to the writing and the craft and the performances yeah. in this story that I feel incredibly, I feel like I understand exactly why they are going for the thing that they're going for at any time. And usually that all comes back to not like I'm a sociopath who wants to ruin the planet, even if that's the result of some of their actions, Yeah, but that they're, I understand through the writing and through all of the relationships that they've set up that a lot of this is just really messed up abuse that's been happening in mm -hmm. cycles for all of these people's lives and i think that it's interesting to not interest not like i think it's interesting to like look at how people have feelings but like i think that the show is very deliberately showing us like the intense emotional conflict that all of these people are having with one another and in that case i do think that the kid like that the roy kids and when i say that i'm usually talking about the three youngest that I'm I'm rooting for them to extricate themselves from this abusive cycle. Mm -hmm. And that's what like their fight of which Logan. of which triumphing over Logan might I mean, some might argue that that only perpetuates the cycle, but you know, uh, well, I, I, yeah, I think getting look I think that Logan is among the most like straightforward, dangerous, yes, homophobic, racist, yes. awful, stuck in the mud characters on the show. like hundred percent again, to the to the point of like that Instagram commenter about Shiv. She seems to posture herself as different. I totally agree with that. That like she thinks, oh, just because I worked in somewhat progressive politics for a while that I'm different from this ilk of one percenter. But as we see in this episode and like we have this, I have like a note about this, you know, at the end of the day, since season one, she's always been happy to like actually just throw regular people under the bus or laugh at them or go mm -hmm. along with the racism or the sexism or whatever it is. And that was what also kind of cost part of her political career was the whole like hand sanitizer mm -hmm. moment yeah. with the politician like yeah we've seen that Shiv still has these ingrained awful instincts in her so yeah to me so I'm I think not you're saying rooting... you're, you're not actually rooting for these people to succeed you if they were real life people you wouldn't be rooting for them to succeed no. but you are hoping that they are able to break the cycle of emotional abuse and possibly succeeding at business or succeeding in deal making is one way they might do that in your opinion is yes. that is that accurate? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, anyway, I, I but I, <laughs> I I think at the end of the day, though, what's great about this show is it makes you want to root for these characters who are in general pretty reprehensible. Like that's what's great about the show. That's yeah. a, that, that is a feature, not a bug, in my opinion. So right, that's just yeah. good TV writing. Yeah. Is when you understand the dynamics of what's happening in a scene, the unspoken dynamics, and then it feels satisfying when someone achieves their goal or their mission or whatever. I mean, I think it's, we come from a long line of, you know, I, you know, I, maybe we should do bonus episodes on this, Kim, because like, there's like, there's a, there's a, there's a long line of like, 
TV watchers rooting for characters that they quote unquote shouldn't root for. Uh, biggest example, Tony Soprano, right? And it's like, um, and I think there's like debate about whether these characters, like the Roys, belong in that camp or not. There's a there's a good debate to be had mm. about that. But we're not going to have that right now. Uh, so, but I wanted to acknowledge that. Hey, I wanted to let like let people know where we're each coming at it from. Totally. And uh, and I think we all agree they're reprehensible. But the show does give you a thrill when they are able to surpass, overcome their obstacles. And uh, as you said, that's just good TV writing. Before we move on, I want to mention that this episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by Nissan. As a pioneer in the electric vehicle space, Nissan is always looking for ways to deliver new, meaningful technologies to EV owners. After all, Nissan's been making EVs since 1947, and their EVs have now traveled 8 billion miles by Nissan Leaf owners since 2010. 8 billion miles. That's the equivalent of driving to Pluto and back. If you think that's electrifying, one of their EVs trekked all the way to the North Pole, and Nissan even tests their EV technology on the Formula E racetrack. But Nissan knows that you don't just get an EV for the E. You get a Nissan EV because it makes you feel electric, because it sparks your imagination. It ignites something within you, it pins you to your seat, and it takes your breath away. At least that's what Nissan thinks about when designing their EVs like the Nissan Aria and the Nissan Leaf. It's about creating a thrilling design that electrifies its customers. I love Nissan's focus. On creating a thrilling drive and an electrifying life, in today's world, it's so important to look around you, to pay attention, to look for all the tiny ways that life can electrify you. And in this case, uh, I've said this before, I've said this on the podcast many times, but uh, I love watching a show uh, that everyone's into, gathering together to talk about it, talking about the characters as though they're real life people, um, interacting with a really engaged audience, with a really talented co-host such as Kim Renfro, it's always a blast, and I really appreciate the community that we've built up here at Decoding TV, and I thank you for being a part of it. And I thank Nissan for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Nissan EVs that electrify. All right. Kim, let's get into the episode itself. Um, we talked about overall thoughts. Let's talk about what actually happens. Now, Kim, before we get into the, the uh, plot... You uh, you had a little reaction to the opening credits of the show, right? Yeah, I never never skip the succession credits because yeah, Nicholas Bertel's yeah. score is so good, and it's always such a good tone setter. But I was kind of like keeping an eye out for either like new clips or sort of. I think with every season, they've sort of mixed up what's being featured in there or when the names are appearing. And yeah, I let out a little like, huh, like when I saw Matthew McFadden's name pop up right at a shot of young Shiv with her father, like standing really mm -hmm. close over her shoulder because it was just like, I got such a visceral reminder of that final shot in mm -hmm. season three of Shiv just like recoiling from the closeness of Tom because he just, yeah, Ugh. it was, I just thought it was so cool. And I was like, maybe that was a total coincidence that his yeah. name got paired with that image. But if it wasn't kudos to whoever put together <laughs> the season four title credits indeed well this episode largely takes place in two locations uh new york and los angeles area in new york uh logan is once again celebrating his birthday and there's a bunch of people gathered there but they seem to be people who he doesn't really care that much about they include logan uh carrie jerry and uh the other buffoonish dudes greg and tom uh now Consider that the first time we ever watched this show, the first time we ever saw Logan, 
uh, he was having a birthday under much different circumstances. His kids were all there. Marsha was there. Uh, now none of those people are here. It's very, very different. Like it was a small dinner versus like this kind of party that he doesn't seem to be having a good time at at all. Yeah. Roman's fake children were there. <laughs> Roman's fake wife and kid. Okay. Well, first of all, they were. <laughs> they, <laughs> they were real. <laughs> it's such a it's such an interesting question, right? Like, did he have a wife and kid, and they're now his ex wife and still kid? You know, like I'm pretty sure uh, I saw something where Jesse Armstrong was like, "We just in between filming the pilot." And the second episode, we were like, no children. But yes, to your point, it was a completely different affair with a lot of different. (laughs) It literally took place in. It took place in the multiverse um, (laughs) because it was a different reality, right? But yes, the vibes were all different, uh, and it seems even somehow even more depressing now than it was back then. Now there has been some question about how much time has actually passed since the first episode. the uh, uh, Jesse Armstrong gave an interview to the New Yorker and somebody was like, Hey, like how long has passed since the first birthday that we saw Logan at? Was it one year? And it's like, um, Jesse Armstrong kind of gave a mealy mouth answer where he's like, it's, he didn't give a specific number of years, but he's like, probably more than one year is kind of what he said. Probably been a couple, two to three years. And he said, it's basically weird because it's been, you know, six years since the show has began, but, or begun. Um, but it might have only been one or two years of actual in-universe time. Um, so for those wondering how much time has passed, like my guess is two to three years, you know? Uh, right, but we just sure. didn't see every single one of Logan's birthdays. Exactly, exactly, yeah. So anyway, Logan is taking stock of the Gojo deal and all that he's accomplished, and he's working with Tom to acquire potentially another company, Pierce. Um, and we also see various scenes from the party throughout the early parts of this episode. Uh, the the thing about Pierce, and I, I think I mentioned this in a previous episode of uh, The Sweet Smell of Succession, but I think the Pierce acquisition, if I understand correctly, most closely mirrors the acquisition of the Wall Street Journal by Rupert Murdoch. Um, that newspaper was also like largely controlled by the Bancroft family, if I'm not mistaken. And so... Um, you know, that's that's kind of uh, what the analogy is there. Uh, and and you can understand why Logan is fixated on it because it's, you know, think of like the Pierce News Org as like the equivalent of Wall Street Journal, very well respected, very old school, very legacy media. And so he still has a bug up, a bug up his ass about it. Let's talk about some of these earlier New York episodes, right? Like, uh, sorry, New York uh, scenes. Uh, Greg shows up with a date who is unknown and Kara gets pretty upset about that because you don't want, you know, it's not a fucking Shake Shack as she explains to him. Uh, so Greg, Greg is acting like even more of an idiot and more reprehensible than before. I'm not saying it doesn't work for me, but I'm just saying he's clearly like completely hapless in this episode. Um, but yeah, what were some, some moments that stuck out to you about this birthday party, Kim? Definitely Greg, especially in contrast to his arrival to Logan's house in the first season. Yeah. Um, Because I think that that I think that that kind of helps explain his added ass hattery in this episode where like he feels so much more confident in that room or like he (laughs) feels like he can boss people around or like talk back to Carrie in a way that he absolutely would not have. Exactly. In season one. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. Also, Carrie Carrie calling herself friend assistant advisor yeah. to, to Logan. Awesome. I was like, 
sure that's a, that's a summary of well i think what's awesome about that is she's that's clearly been workshopped like it's clearly like okay people were asking us questions it just makes things a lot easier if i introduce uh-huh. myself as friend assistant and advisor you know um, so funny but also, yeah, yeah go ahead i was gonna say like the other like very pointed line was like greg just straight up saying i'm an honorary kid and it was like immediately you could tell that Carrie was like, that's, a, that's an overstep of like what you're considered in <laughs> yeah. this, in this tier right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, I had some questions about the Marsha storyline during our preview episode, right? I was like, where, you know, the, I don't think they, I said on the preview, I don't think the show has ever figured out what to do with Marsha. She's here. She's gone. She's here. She's gone. Um, now it seems like she might be gone. Like there's a line about how she is shopping in Milan forever. So she that, okay. that, is a, that is a character that went from this is the biggest force the kids are up against to a, literally she might not even be in the season at all. Yeah. Um. And so a, a bunch of wasted potential because I think Haim Abbas is like a pretty awesome actor. Yeah. Uh, and and I do think it was like interesting. That was an interesting relationship. You know, like what's behind? Like I think Logan is a more interesting character if. The person he's with is Haim, like Marsha, Haim Abbas, Mar- uh, Marsha, as opposed to Carrie. Like that, that is a more, the boss is sleeping with his assistant. Like we all have seen that like hundreds of times. Like, yeah. What is his and Marsha's relationship? You know, I would have loved to learn more about that, but yeah. instead she's off shopping in Milan forever. So that's a bummer, but you know. Yeah. And her and Shiv in particular yeah. were incredible together as two women who are rarely talking. <laughs> The, yeah. the show doesn't often pass the Bechdel test. <laughs> um, and so yeah, yeah. losing, which like, again, by design, because sure. that's how it works in real life in a lot of these situations as well. Um, so yeah, I, I feel you there that I miss, I miss that Marsha presence. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sad that they didn't figure out what to do with her. Maybe they will. Maybe she's going to come in in episode three and be a Thanks huge part of the rest of the season, but I don't think so. Okay. Uh, in Los Angeles, Roman, Kendall, and Shiv have gathered. Plus, they have a, a money guy who they call T for short. He's like their finance guy. Uh, and it becomes clear during the course of the episode that they are planning to extricate themselves from Waystar Royco. They've written their resignation letters. They're all going to resign after the Gojo sale goes through. And they're going to launch their own news company, which is described as Substack meets Masterclass meets The Economist meets The New Yorker, which is just an incredible description for a new startup, right? <laughs> I I would believe if that came from a pitch deck mm-hmm. in a yeah. real like startup. It's, it's funny because it's just this word salad that like means absolutely nothing. <laughs> like it's just like, what is that even? You know, um, why would you need the Economist and the New Yorker and Master? Because it, it, also those things don't even go together. You you know, there's some things that you're like, oh, that goes well together. You know, no eater it- eater and Vox. I could see that making sense. You know, but like. Masterclass meets The Economist meets The New York. It just is like ridiculous. <laughs> and Substack, so it's going to be like HuffPo as well. Okay, whatever. Anyway, it's 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 meant to be nonsense, and I think it's very funny. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so they are pitching their own news company, and they're working on the pitch deck. It's called The Hundred. Uh, and Roman and Kendall are going to be executives in in the company, and it's going okay. What do you think of The Hundred as a name for a media company, Kim? What do you think? I actually think it's not. I actually think it's not bad, personally. It's not bad. Do you have a guess as to why, like where that came from for them? No, absolutely not. I, I can, nor, nor do I even want to try. I was gonna say I can only think of it being like a really cringy Kendall thing because he like loves hip hop and like making 
specific pop culture references and like CC, like cool, calm, collected CCC is Mm -hmm. no, that was 300 scratch, (laughs) scratch all of this. I don't know, but it's not terrible. It's just vague enough. It's it's, that's the thing. It's like, it's like completely (laughs) anodyne, like vague name that could mean anything. Yeah. Uh, So I like that about it. Yeah. So anyway, Shiv comes in and uh, she starts getting grilled on like whether or not she's going to go do something else, go help with this transition team for a politician. Um, but yeah, there's a question of, can these siblings band together? Can they launch this media brand together? Uh, we will see. Any thoughts on the, these early parts of the episode with uh, the three Roy siblings? It's really, it, it was fun to watch them all doing their little Roy thing, but without the supervision of any of the adults in the actual Waystar Royco company, you know, like I feel like normally we've seen like Roman floating the stuff off of Jerry or like Kendall and Stewie or Kendall and Frank and seeing all of them just do it together. I felt that tension of like, Oh God, is this going to fall apart right now? Like, are we just going to immediately see them not be able to band together? But I think that you saw an, like a new honesty from all of them. Like Kendall just outright says like, I I need something like I'm an addict in faux yeah. recovery. Like I need yeah. something to hang on to. And I'm hoping that it's this and like Shiv being able to say like Shiv, Shiv was harder to read in that moment. But I think that Kendall and Roman did a good job of like, just saying like saying their feelings a little bit more and like in a way that all of the siblings were like, okay, yes, let's like continue sticking together. So, yeah. I mean, the, the big news is that they're all working together and they all, they all seem to be getting along and like, being normal siblings together, mm-hmm. you know, that, that that has not been a dynamic we've basically ever seen. Yeah. Um, for much of season three, they they hated each other still. So I guess like after the events of season three, they kind of figured out, hey, we're stronger if we're together. Let's like stick together. And that's nice to see because it's clear that basically a lot of stuff has happened since the end of season three. Like, I don't know how long it's been since the end of season three, but my, my feeling is months, right? Yeah. Months. I can see that. Um, they they seem like, very comfortable in their yeah, Los yeah, Angeles exactly. home. <laughs> exactly. It could be three, six, nine months. Like it could be um, a lot of stuff has happened because one thing we learn is that Tom and Shiv are separated. Uh, and Tom calls Shiv uh, early on in the episode and tells her he had a drink with Naomi Pierce. And he tries to explain it's not like, I actually think I watched this a couple times and my sense was Tom was saying, he's not actually dating Naomi Pierce. Like, I, I don't actually think there's anything sexual going on between them. I um, agree. But he was just telling her because he's like, I don't want you to read about it in the paper and, and wonder what's going on. Um, but Tom was stuck in a place where he couldn't, he couldn't tell Shiv why he had lunch or dinner with Naomi Pierce, but he had to tell her that he did. And so it comes off looking super sketchy. Right. And she is kind of a jealous type as far as I can tell. Uh, she's very unhappy with this development. So it was yeah. very fun seeing both Shiv and Kendall kind of struggle with this possible news that Tom is uh, potentially sleeping sleeping with Naomi. I don't think he is. Uh, I don't think they are, but uh, it was funny. They were both like clearly very flummoxed by the idea. And this is a problem because they're about to apparently do a pitch to these finance people who are going to potentially uh, give them money for this hundred, the hundred uh, plan of theirs. Uh, so that's when they caught on to the idea that potentially uh, Logan might be trying to acquire Pierce again. Like, why? Why else would Tom be meeting with uh, uh, with Naomi Pierce? So, 
Yeah, on a second watch of this, I also was paying a lot of attention to the way that Tom was delivering that information to Shiv because I was like, the the hint seemed to settle in eventually. Like, it's like she had a big, like, jealous reaction and then put the pieces together of like, well, why would they be talking? And I was like, did Tom do that on purpose? Like, or like even subconsciously, was there a part of Tom that knew that by notifying Shiv that he had just been like in a private conversation with Naomi I, of like I think, Logan's next move. I think Tom just still cares a lot about Chiv. That's kind yeah. of my sense. He still cares a lot about Chiv and he's like, I don't want her to be have her feelings hurt by reading about the Naomi thing in the paper. So I have to tell her, even if it's going to blow things up with Logan, which is what happens basically. Yeah. Right? I also read it as a parallel to what Shiv does at the end of the episode of like, that there is a somewhat valid excuse for her, for them to like reach out or like potentially cross paths again, but they're both kind of like a little bit, maybe leaning on an excuse out because they're like, Oh, I can't just call you out. Right. And say, mm-hmm. I want to talk right now. I didn't get that, but you know, it's, if you saw that, then I'm not going to say it's a, it's an invalid uh, reading. Um, back in New York, it's still Logan's birthday. And Greg's date starts to ruffle some feathers, generally behaving with massive social faux pas left and right, asking inappropriate questions, trying to take selfies of Logan, doing all kinds of stuff that would be mortifying for any of us. Um, We also learned that Greg has a new nickname for Tom and himself, the Disgusting Brothers, which is like a terrible nickname in my opinion. That doesn't even sound cool. It's just like, and apparently like other, that's the thing is like other people know about the nickname, which is like mortifying, you know? So yeah, gross. Connor is polling at 1% still, and he's debating whether to spend $100 million to maintain that percentage. We talked a little bit about this in the preview, but um, it seems, I actually think 1% is a formidable amount, uh, but it does seem like a lot of money to spend to maintain a pretty hopeless position overall. Um, What else happens? Uh... Let's see. This is yeah, maybe this is where I would say too in this scene in particular is when I started paying closer attention to Bridget slash Tom's yeah. mystery date because like everything that Carrie said about why he should be worried that he doesn't know the full name of this person felt very valid to me and I was like this person's now asking a presidential candidate like detailed information about his the money that he's about to spend, what that money would be spent on. Like all of these little things where I was like, either she's just a savvy clout grifter influencer, or she, I feel like she could be a reporter. I got confused. Cause I was like, is that the Pierce person yeah. that, well, first just of all, got... the, 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 there is a, there is a line referencing the fact that a character named Bun Pierce is at Logan Roy's wedding, which is just like a really weird name to begin Birthday. with. So, yeah, Logan's at, or at Logan's birthday party. So it's just, it's weird that somebody's named Bun Pierce. And then it's like, is Bun Pierce Bridget? And no, it's a different person. Bun Pierce is actually a guy. Um, so it's just, it's confusing. I, I I think it's unlikely that Bridget is an asset. Like, I think she's just uh, a careless influencer is my guess. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely, it definitely plays with that doubt for sure a lot during the course of the episode. Back in Los Angeles, the kids figure out that Logan, in addition to closing the Gojo deal, also wants to buy Pierce. And Shiv wants to potentially be involved in acquiring Pierce as well. Uh, And they kind of debate, they debate the merits of whether or not they should acquire, acquire Pierce and how it's a good idea. And it's, it's, um, 
I actually really like this scene because Roman is kind of emotionally hurt from it because he's like, wait, so like, what about this hundred thing that we're launching together? Like, aren't you excited about this? And they're like clearly way more excited about the Pierce acquisition possibly. And, uh, and Roman's like, so what you were just like bullshitting me the whole time. And it's like, yeah, I think, you know, Roman is, has some standing to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, Shiv says something where she says like, uh, she wants to have a say because it feels like it's 1933, right? And it's like, Hey, it's 19, 19th- it's 1933. And I'd like to have a say like, and acquiring Pierce would do that for her. Now, Kim, you and I had some debate about what is the significance of the year 1933, right? Uh, and we we figured out some stuff that happened in 1933 <laughs> that Shiv might be talking about. But 1933 was a fairly consequential year in in world history. What what is uh, what is on your mind from 1933, Kim? Yeah, first and probably most pointed that comes up is that that was the year that Adolf Hitler became a dictator. <laughs> Yes. Officially? It's, it's the year of the Reichstag fire, and then Adolf Hitler became uh, became dictator of Germany after that, yeah. so And it was also, I guess, noted as the worst year of the Great Depression on record for the United States. And so I think that that was a very quick way of succession, bringing in real-life presidential candidates or real-life politics and real-life economic situations of the world in like a very quick yeah. snap from Shiv of just being like, it's getting very 1933 in here. So this is yeah. why I want to acquire a major news brand that has a more, that has a, like, I think that again, to your point about Pierce being a little bit more like the Wall Street Journal, ATN is obviously an allegory for Fox News in a lot of these situations. And so it's like, she wants to angle herself on like an already established source of news without having to build something from scratch. Whereas Roman's more stoked about the idea of like being a full uh, disruptor type of vibe with his business idea. Right. Right. Um, And you know, what would be embarrassing Kim is if there was something even bigger that happened in 1933 that neither of us mentioned me, me, you know, like there's like those, those things we just mentioned were like nothing compared to, other big event that we didn't talk about but suffice to say 1933 was a very consequential year and if there is another event here's here's a question uh for decoding tv at gmail.com what do you think shiv was talking about when she said 1933 that's that's a question for all the american history buffs out there uh i think this whole thing is is interesting it's a little bit odd because as we've already discussed we haven't had access to the roy's dynamic in the intervening months since the events last season but I will say, as somebody who is trying to launch Decoding TV as a business, uh, and a big thanks to everyone who is a paid member at DecodingTV.com for helping to make this business even conceivable, it's, it is really hard to launch a business and like get people on board with it you know, and get enthusiasm around it, like get like collaborators on it. And it's, it's, it is just hard. And I felt for Roman in that moment because he's like, mm. hey, I'm, I'm trying to launch this freaking thing over here and you guys are off in la la land and for for probably other reasons too like shiv wants to get back at tom and kendall wants to get back at dad and roman's like i'm just trying to launch decoding tv over here you know like (laughs) i don't need to i don't have any revenge fantasy going on right now yeah Uh, i think that he really needed he's always needed a confidence boost in his like corporate leading instincts which again to just let's just remind ourselves for a second that as much as we're saying that roman roy has come leaps and bounds in his corporate prowess like he's still doing despicable things or like 
what he struggled with isn't always like, oh, I didn't have the best strategy idea. It's like, oh, I was jerking off in the window of my office. <laughs> yeah. And- no, no, to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, Kim, we haven't seen that behavior yet this season. So it's True. like, it's maybe he he's- just talked about it. May, yeah. Maybe he's, maybe he's like reformed or whatever. Like he, he actually, in my opinion, showed great self-restraint this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, uh, this episode. This episode. Like, like he said very few inappropriate things to people outside of his family. Um, One of my favorites was, uh, oh, yeah. great. Go talk to an old lady about a newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> what I loved um, when during the meeting with uh, the Pierces, Shiv discloses that she's going to get a divorce. And he says, you know, it's always sad when true love dies. <laughs> and it's just like... <laughs> It's an amazing line, and it's you know, it's, or something along those lines. I might be paraphrasing a little bit, but he's again, he's very like it, you can tell he is completely one hundred percent sarcastic. Yeah, um, but yeah, and so. again, to their credit, this would have this is a moment where they could have easily fallen apart, and everything would have gone sideways, and they would have messed yeah. up the messed up the convo with their investors and Shiv would have pulled out and then they would have had nowhere to go but they do I think that this is another good example of like they actually are able to be a little honest with one another mm-hmm. and the result of that is that they get on that private jet and they go talk to Nan like Shiv and Shiv and Kendall are able to like placate slash like acknowledge and validate maybe Robin's feelings a little bit and Shiv also says like I need to look out for me because no one else is going to. And like, so it was a, it was again, a good moment of emotional growth for the three youngest Roy kids. Yeah. Back in New York, Logan becomes agitated at the lack of things to do and, or people to yell at. So he leaves his own birthday party to go for a walk in central park and then has a meal with Colin, his bodyguard slash body person in a diner. And they talk about the meaning of life. Very odd scene. Kim, but I thought it was very poignant and actually very sad. Yeah. Um, because I think the purpose of the scene, my interpretation is Logan has no one else to talk about things with. Like he has no one who he considers an equal, uh, no one who he considers a friend, no friends, no children that, you know, even Carrie, who he's probably still having an affair with. Like he can't really talk to any of these people. So the closest thing he has to a friend is his bodyguard, Colin. And it's uh it's in- just incredibly sad. It's yeah. just like a really sad scene. So and yeah. Logan just struggles like the you're a good guy. You're my pal. You're my best <laughs> pal. I was like no stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like he's just saying thank you because you pay him to sit in front of you and say thank you or yes yeah. sir all day. Like really just yeah, showing how much Logan has isolated himself and to the to the point of him isolated himself from like real humans who might care about him because as he says in the next breath he just thinks people are economic units and so of course yeah. you're lonely on your birthday logan did you ever see a rest development not every episode but a decent chunk of it um there's an episode where job is trying to uh, prove that he has friends like Michael accuses Joe played by Will Arnett of not having any friends so like then Joe will start talking to people and call them like hey thanks friend you know um, it'd be like me signing <laughs> off this conversation I mean I think we are friends Kim but if I was like <laughs> if I signed off this conversation I was like all right thanks for the recording of the podcast Kim goodbye friend you know just to like <laughs> affirm that he's a friend and then, like uh-huh. he keeps saying like 
bye friend you know and then like his the people he's talking to keep saying like i'm not really a friend i'm more of a business associate you know like um painful it's it's it was very job bluth vibes in this logan diner scene put it that way so. yeah and he talks about how like hey he doesn't think there's anything uh after you die like after you die there's nothing you know that's there it is so it's got his fucking suspicions though mm. <laughs> Creepy. a few other things happen in new york uh connor chats with willow about turning their wedding into a pr stunt uh and tries to make it so that the wedding will generate some earned media for him uh pretty rough stuff you know i, I don't know how to feel about connor and willow at this point like uh you, I, I have in general felt bad for Willa, um, but I'm not. I'm not really sure where she's at mentally with this whole wedding at this point. You know, like has she grown to love this guy at all? I don't know. Like, I yeah. think she deluded herself into saying yes. <laughs> yeah, thinking like, well, at least I will have like a nice life, right? Yeah. Like, at least I'm getting a nice, luxurious set of like whatever. And yeah. I think that this point was us watching her realize like, oh, I'm not even gonna get that. Mm. I literally just have to do whatever connor wants me to as like his visible partner for the rest of his life type of thing so yeah just more sad all these people are just being miserable to each other vibes from that whole conversation of like yeah of course connor wants to maximize it for political publicity and willa wanted just to have a nice wedding indeed there's a funny subplot where greg describes having sex with uh bridget in one of the rooms of the house and tom says everything is wired for cameras you're gonna have to tell logan about it i it's actually not clear to me if tom is telling the truth at that point yes i don't know if you had a theory yeah i think he just the tom greg (laughs) intimacy vibes in this episode are like fully off the charts i think when i think it was around season two when someone when i first saw like you know a taylor swift fan cam edit of tom and greg being like they're the happiest couple on the show and then I realized, like, there. I think that the show is doing something more serious with this weird sexual, shamey tension between Tom and Greg. Where, like, yeah, Tom, Tom seems very like. It feels like something really shifts in him whenever he hears details about Greg's sex life with other mm. women, and he seems to jump into like, "I'm gonna make you feel like shit about that." Mm like so you mode. think there's actual jealousy going on there of some kind or yeah whether whether again whether it's conscious on tom's part i don't i don't what whatever their actual sexuality is as characters seems less relevant to me than the fact that tom feels some sort of ownership over greg and like a he talks to greg more intimately than he does with almost anyone else including yeah. his wife and this episode was like a lot more like the whole disgusting brothers thing the whole yeah was it was Tom sending Greg to Logan because he actually needed to like go tell Logan that, or that there was going to be some fallout or was it just Tom trying to like knock Greg down a peg when he felt like Greg was getting a win, mm-hmm. especially romantically. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I, I think that's all open to possibilities. Um, but the one bummer is we don't get to see Greg tell Logan about what happened. That was I was really looking forward to that, and the show deprived us of that, so that's a little bit of a, of a bummer. But yeah, after that point, uh, it then becomes about this bidding war, right? Like the uh, Roy kids show up in California, and they confront Nan, who performatively resists their offer. 
I I loved this whole situation because I think like we definitely got lots of hints that Nan was a bit of a phony from the last time we the last couple times we saw her in season two. I think, um, like as an example, you know, she had her her help prepare the dinner, but then she like comes out with the dinner and everyone's like, great job. And she keeps telling her help, like, come have a drink with us, even though she knows that's not possible, you know? So Ran is kind of terrible. uh, And this episode, like really kind of further flushed the character of Nan down the toilet, in my opinion, where like, she's like, well, I'm so sorry, but there's no way we could possibly entertain any more offers. You came here for nothing. Goodbye. And then, I love how Kendall just like cuts through the bullshit. She's like, well, so good. Would it be helpful to just hear the offer? Why don't I just say a number out loud? You know, mm-hmm. let's just let's just say. And I, I I think Kendall plays it really well. And he he also identifies that Logan hates Nan and hates the company and everything they stand for. And it's like you'd have a better chance with us, and you get more money. So it's like, yeah, this is a better deal for Nan. Um. So then this bidding war, uh, ensues. Where the LA kids agree to eight, Logan wants to do six, Tom knows seven's a better starting point, but Logan's like, I want the best deal, I want to play hardball, um, but Logan's actually kind of a little bit outmatched here, you know, because he, the other he doesn't realize that the kids just want to beat him, he, they really want to get his goat. So, a lot of cool moments in this whole bidding war sequence, uh, we, I don't want to recap like every single moment, but what are some stuff, what are some moments that stick out to you, Kim Renfro? Definitely, you can see the moment Logan makes the fatal mistake when he says to go with like six instead of seven. Yeah, and and yeah. Tom and you can you can tell that Tom also knows yeah. that that's a mistake. That's a mistake. Yeah, but no one can. No one says it. They just like. Well, Tom, Tom like tries well, to stop it. Yeah, he's like, I think like seven is a better starting point. You know, right? He's or like, like seven's what we discussed. Yeah, like his yeah, like yeah. voice goes <laughs> up into yeah. the air. Yeah. Um, and so that was, I think that that, again, you know, we saw in the season three finale that Tom can make big power plays when needed. And I think that this was another, like, we were watching Tom realize, like, oh, I hitched my wagon to a cart that's, like, not going to listen to me or that, mm-hmm. like, isn't actually going to take my expertise into account, which has happened yeah. basically every time Logan's convinced someone to join him. Um so yeah, and then also the the mirror, because season one, episode one, the pilot was also Kendall in almost a similar like fast pace. We need to like make the right, we need to say the right number right now, or we need to close this deal type of thing. And I just remember so distinctly the whole like, do you want to call your dad moment from an executive to Kendall? And Kendall's yeah. like, do you want to call your dad? Let's all call our dad. Like everyone sort of freaked out. And then in this scene, you have Logan straight up being like, Tom, call your wife. Like we need, we need you on the phone with your wife right now (laughs) in order for this deal to happen. And I was like, yeah, how interesting that like, there are times when, when calling the family member is strategically sound. And there are times when everyone's operating from this, like, I have to do it all by myself mode. So I, uh, I loved the editing and pacing of the sequence and in particular what they show you and what they don't show you. Like there's a Mm. bunch of segments of conversation they don't show you they don't show you the nans discussing the offers yeah or sorry the the pierce's discovering discussing the offers yeah um they don't show you tom and the pierce's conversations ever right uh and so you just kind of have to like imagine what those are and 
I, I love that it kind of gives you enough to for you to fill in the details of how all those things went. And it's just like they could have shown it to you, mm-hmm. um, but they decided not to. And I guess they decided it was like more effective to show, to do it this way. And I, I do think it's very effective because it does give the whole section this really great electric pacing. You know, it's like, oh, we're going offer to offer to offer. And like, oh, what are they, what are they going to say? What are they going to say? What are they going to You know, it's like and you feel like you're bouncing from place to place in a really rapid clip. Yeah. Um, and I felt like because of that, I felt like when Shiv enters the room, she's in the middle. She's able to like turn on her sort of like I might be in a at a TED talk like corporate well, it's voice. A great sh- it's a great shot because it's very rare. Uh, like Succession is largely very predictable from a filmmaking perspective. It's a lot of medium shots, medium to wide shots where there's like multiple characters or, you know, you like whip pan to a close up of someone and you like focus on their face. But the Shiv shot where she enters the room with the final offer was one of the few filmmaking flourishes in this episode where it starts ultra close up on her face. Like you're like her face is filling up most of the frame and then it kind of pulls back because Mm. she knows in that moment she has the goods. Like she knows she's going to deliver the death blow. And uh, I think it's done very, very effectively. So we got our Shiv win. Yes. <laughs> well, th- this is the thing, Kim, is we've already seen a we've already seen a Pierce deal unwound on this show. So it's I like, know. OK, I, I hope it succeeds, but it does seem like it, there's there's a large likelihood that they'll succeed. All I right, hope uh, it does, because. Can I just really fast? Yeah, please go. I know we could I, I we could talk about Shiv Roy probably for a whole other episode, but I think that I think that keeping I think that that win for Shiv was also even more effective because she was also a big piece of the deal back when she was doing it under Logan, and I think that like Nan saw how Logan was like not letting her actually announce that she was going to be the successor and not actually taking her opinions into account. And I, I think that Shiv was the magic to this deal being agreed upon with just the kids. I don't think Roman and Kendall could have done it on their own. I think that they needed Shiv to be there, to be another woman in the room who says, I see what you do. Even if we're both the same phony type of woman in this industry, I think that they have a lot in common. And so I think that it was like really cool to see them finally be like, yeah, screw Logan. Let's just do this with each other type yeah. of vibe. Yeah. Uh I, I, this is a pretty big win for Shiv. I agree, and it was it was nice to see. It was nice to see her get a win for once, which is very rare on the show. Um, few other things to point out. I I did like the moment when we talked about it earlier when Shiv reveals during the conversation that she's getting a divorce, uh, which is had not been finalized as far yeah. as I could tell. So she, she it shows she was willing to like throw her marriage under the bus for this deal. Uh, Because I think everyone was kind of surprised. Like Roman and Kendall were like, oh, did she just say that, you know? Yeah. Like of all the posturing happening in the room and everyone kind of talking in euphemisms or we we sort of know what we're talking about. That was like the most like direct moment that genuinely seemed to surprise everyone. And yeah, I agree. Agreed. And yeah, about the euphemisms. I love all the euphemisms that happened. Like I I, eating them all up, right? There, yeah, like I have a migraine. Oh, I had a splitting migraine. But fortunately, it's completely gone away. Um. And it's just like you you tell each other these it's what the business world is is like there's all these euphemisms and this this whole other language that you need to be able to figure out if you're going to succeed you know there is a there's a line where Naomi says hey 8 billions a good offer or something she says 8 billions a good offer but you know we think there might be some more upside mm-hmm. uh, and it's like okay like upside means you want the number to go higher um 
So I love all the euphemisms of this code that they speak in. I, I'm just a big fan of code, Kim. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I like I'm fascinated by the way different professions talk. Uh-huh. Like I remember the first time I went to casino, and if you go to a casino, you try to get a table at the poker table. It's very simple, you know. Like, but it'll be like you know. Uh, Table number 18, lock it up for number 18, you know, and like all this stuff that's like uh, the the floor manager, they all talk in like this very specific language. I'm always fascinated by that kind of stuff. And so this uh, episode gave me a, a little bit of that because they do speak in some euphemisms. I also loved Roman's complete, actually not just Roman, all three kids complete 100% disdain for the finance guy that they're working with. Because... <laughs> It's like literally if they had a choice, they would not work with this guy. Yeah. They have to work with him because he's assembling the donors or the backers. And they think he contributes absolutely nothing, but they have to work with him. And so it's kind of this like symbiotic relationship where it's like, we're we're going to work with you, but we are going to mock the shit out of you because we freaking hate that we need to spend lots of money working with you. Um, and it's just like dripping with disdain. I love that whole thing. So yeah. Um, what you know, there's some fun moments during the Logan bidding, like about like tell me a joke. You know, that's it's fun, like classic su- succession stuff. But uh, and Grinch those... is being like, I'm scared of you right now. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was like, uh huh. So is everyone in the room? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know, one of my favorite things in the episode was when Tom says like, uh, they just received a conversation-ending offer. Mm. and logan's like well i'll 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 bid higher and he's like they're no longer interested it's like woof like logan misplayed his hand you Mm -hmm. know and uh, and then of course he screams at them afterwards um congratulations on saying the biggest fucking the biggest number you fucking morons um he's pissed and for good reason like they they clearly did this just to get his goat and they succeeded and he doesn't he's not used to losing I think I would disagree with just to get his goat. I think that that was like the thrust of the fast pivot for sure was like the allure of that. Yeah. But it also does make sense to. (laughs) Yes. From a media perspective, you know, I would rather, I would rather be in charge of the Pierce news company than uh, the hundred personally myself. Right. And I think Shiv knew that and Mm -hmm. got her. I think that, I think that it was the right call for them strategically. Even if the the motivation behind it was personal, but that's been this whole freaking show. Well, I don't know. I guess I don't know that we know enough about the Pierce that's media true. operation to really make that conclusion in this universe. But uh, it, it's certainly a very reasonable call. You know, like it's yeah. it's certainly like you can understand why you'd want to go with a better established brand and start something from nothing. Like that completely yeah. makes sense in this media environment. I agree with you on that. Yeah. But um, but yeah, we don't know enough about the Pierce's. I don't think. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, those are some of the highlights of the whole bidding war, like really good stuff. Great scene, classic succession. I just hope it actually goes through this time and it's like a final deal and not like Nan has second thoughts next episode again, you know, like that would be very silly. So, but there's still eight minutes left of the episode, Kim. I know. I was like, the kids were all like celebrating on the phone call. And I was like, this feels great. And then I was like, wait, the episode's not over. Something bad is happening next. I just got, as soon as Shiv, we go back, we cut back to New York, which we're assuming is maybe like the next day, that night. 
Um, it's it's like the next morning. It's like because because yeah. uh, Tom has woken up and he's like very sleepy. Okay, so, it's like super early in the morning. Yeah, it's like you know three a.m. or four a.m. or something. Okay. You know, like yeah, and uh, and then Shiv and Tom have this confrontation uh, where they basically decide they should probably get divorced. Um, and it's heartbreaking, I think, because Roy family kids would literally rather get divorced than go to therapy. Kim. <laughs> I actually have a Honestly. clip. I have a clip from the episode. This is Shiv uh, talking to Tom at the end of the episode, and Tom is saying, "Hey, like I have some things I want to say. You know, like mm-hmm. I have some things I want to share. You know, I think we should just have it all out." And Shiv really rebuffs him and says this. But do you want to talk? There's some things I wouldn't mind saying and explaining. I don't want to rake up a whole lot of bullshit for no profit, Tom. But I feel I, no, I do. Just feel... stop. I don't think it's good for me to hear all that. I think it might be time for you and I to move on. So that's Shiv talking to Tom at the end of this week's episode of Succession, and I think it's sad because I think really Shiv does need to have that conversation. You know, yeah. She, they, they, that's part of the first step to getting peace. Is like being honest with yourself, being honest with those you love. Mm-hmm. And it's sad that Shiv is in a family where they don't talk about their feelings, you know? Yeah. Uh, and if you are from a family that do- doesn't talk about their feelings, you can like recognize that. But I think it's actually really valuable for people to talk about their feelings so long as it's done in a constructive way because um, it's the first step towards healing. Mm-hmm. And I don't think uh, she will ever heal because she will never acknowledge what's a reality. So. Yeah. No, agreed. And I just also want to take a second to commend Sarah Snook and Matthew McFadden in this episode because like they are so good at that particular dynamic and when Tom's voice goes kind of like soft and says like do you really want an accounting of all the pain in yeah. our marriage? I was like, "Oof." Like you can you've you know exactly what he's talking about because we've been witnessing all of this emotional pain between them for this whole time. And I will say when I was like, I, I got worried about tragedy, something about the way that the episode was shot with Shiv coming back to the house and it being dark and quiet. And she sort of seems like she's looking for something almost, but like before I knew what she was doing there, I had a, I was like, I had a flash worry that she was about to find Tom's body that like, (laughs) Wow. I know that's so dark. <laughs> but I was like Why? What for under what circumstances? Because Tom, I mean, Logan losing the Pierce deal mm. was extra mm. bad for Tom. Like he his whole setup was like he was yeah, trying to it, celebrate that win with Logan kind of early. Oh, yeah. maybe and if it, this And it works, was kind of Tom's fault too that it happened. It was. He, he's the one that kind of gave away the Pierce situation to Shiv. It yeah. was. Um he see he just seemed not in a good place, especially after the events of season three. And then like, so I don't know. I just had this flash. And then when I saw him, I was like a little bit relieved. And then I was like, oh, the sad thing happening is just like their divorce is being finalized. But I I felt for a second that succession could go that dark that quickly this season, which brings me back to like what we were saying at the top of the episode where, yeah, I, 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 I at this point wouldn't be too surprised for us to see someone die you're yeah you're you're really on the like there's gonna be dead body let the bodies hit the floor train and i'm like 
I don't think I think it's be very out of tone with what I've seen so far. So mm, yeah. um, those those will be our predictions. It is a very uh, beautiful moment at the end when they kind of lie in bed and they acknowledge that their marriage is over. Um, you know, I, I don't want to bring up any uh, bad memories for you or any of our listeners, Kim, but I do think like uh, I, I have been in a relationship that has ended before, you know, and um, it, it, there's usually like this kind of relief at the end where you, you mm. can still, you're still talking with the person. Um, like you're still in their, their presence, but you, you have concluded that it is over. Yeah. And there's like a freedom and a tragedy that comes from that, that I think this scene does a good job of capturing them lying in bed, not being able to talk about their feelings and realizing that they need to move on. Yeah. Like the swords are down. Yeah. Like at least we're both on the same page that we're, this isn't a fight for our marriage anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Final scene with Logan. He is sitting alone and watching ATN like a miserable old person. Uh, he calls Sid and complains about the ATN host, uh, but this is apparently the limits of his power now. He's just yelling at women over the phone about stuff that doesn't matter because in the next iteration of the company, he's not going to be in charge anymore, or he'll be in charge of like a very small fiefdom. Um, yeah. We don't exactly know how the deal is going to work out yet, but a very odd way to end the episode i thought um not in a bad way it's just like it, it's just like ending with this shot of misery like you'd think this person who has built an empire and has everything you could ever want might have a modicum of happiness but again the show shows us that at the end of the day uh nothing will make him happy he's miserable and his life is a disaster. Kim, thoughts on this closing scene? Yeah, I think it was really just us watching Logan in the very boring hell of his own making. Of like, yeah, all right, I don't have anyone around me to yell at because I've scared them all off. I don't have anyone around to love me because yeah. I don't fucking love anyone else. And I'm just going to call up the one executive who I know might answer the phone and say some words and hear her say the same BS words back of like, yeah, I'm on it. Yeah, we'll cover it. But like in the same way that that conversation with Colin was so like depressing and you could just tell like completely lacking an actual connection, yeah. him him just barking orders at someone and then hearing what he wants to hear is like, yeah, a pretty sad picture of the life that he has built for himself here at the end of his twilight days. And Indeed. I don't feel bad for him. <laughs> <laughs> You're not rooting for this one to succeed. Uh, nope. Um, well, before we get to our favorite one-liner of the episode, Kim, uh, you want to tell people where they can find more of your work on the internet this week? Yeah, I'm writing still on insider.com, so you can find me there. You can find me on Instagram these days sporadically if you want to see a, a cat video from time to time. That's mostly on my Insta. Uh, and yeah, here at Decoding TV. I'm happy to be here for the foreseeable future, talking all things succession. And uh, be sure to follow us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at Decoding TV. We'll provide links to everything in the show notes. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of the episode, and uh, we'll be sure to share uh, our favorite feedback and reactions here on the show itself. You can also become a paid member at decodingtv.com, get early access to episodes and ad-free episodes, and support this show and help to keep it going. All right, Kim Renfro, favorite one-liner from the episode? 
I'm going with a Roman mm-hmm. line from the day, mostly because everything about the hundred was just amazing to me. <laughs> Him saying it is like clickbait in a way, but for like smart people. <laughs> uh huh. Why does that resonate with you, Kim? Uh, first of all, he used the word like twice, which is one of my favorite uh, <laughs> automated linguistic tools. Mm-hmm, I love mm-hmm. hearing. I love hearing that kind of like naturalistic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm language and i think especially coming from someone like roman where it's like he's talking all the time in like these little chaotic ways but this was just such a perfect snippet of the way that like he says things without actually saying anything like what is clickbait in a way but But for for like but for for smart smart people people. it's it's like a nonsensical it's nonsense but it's the exact combo of like verbiage that people try to use when they're trying to figure out yeah. What's the most effective way to write news articles and get people to read them? Because yeah. that's how companies stay in business. So, yeah. My uh, one-liner is there's a moment when they say, hey, uh, the Pierces would be open to getting a call from you, Shiv. And Shiv says, should I at least call? Just check in at Grey Gardens, go nano nano, if, see if there's anything at all. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know if you've seen Grey Gardens. I haven't, but, but it I is, know about it. It is a 1975 documentary by the Maisels brothers, and it is astonishing. It's an astonishing documentary because it's about these women that uh, live together, and li- they're like incredibly eccentric. They like live in this house that's kind of falling apart, and it's like one of the sort of better known documentaries of all time because the the portrait it paints of these women is just so vivid and strange and memorable. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of these women that are kind of like they're completely separated from the outside world like kind of losing their minds a little bit uh, and, but they're kind of like living in their own reality you know mm. uh, and so I love the reference to Grey Gardens it, like if you go, you, you go and watch some If you, I beg of you I beg of you <laughs> Kim and the listener if you I haven't will. seen Grey Gardens go to YouTube and watch some clips from Grey Gardens because then you will see how hilarious this line is uh, where she's saying like go to Grey Gardens and check them out because like it's that she's describing Nan as the Grey Gardens is, is amazing, but also you know what occurred to me as I was thinking of which line to pick for this segment, Kim is man, um, the Roy children have as great of a handle on pop culture as most Jesse Armstrong characters, <laughs> and it and it made me think like. Can I imagine Shiv watching the Criterion disc of Grey Gardens? Like, you don't see them ever really consuming media. Sure. Um, you see, you know, Kendall covering songs at his birthday and writing raps and stuff like that. But, like, you don't really see characters consuming media, even though for these characters, uh, you know, she, maybe when she was in college. Yeah. Shiv probably went to a very esteemed liberal arts college that Logan was a donor at. Uh, and during film class, you watch Grey Gardens. That's kind of my headcanon, perhaps. It reminds but, me of the the scene in Knives Out where Benoit Blanc is like referencing Gravity's Rainbow, and then mm. Marta's like, "I've never read it." And he's like, "No one has." And it's like one of those like faux intellectualism <laughs> mm-hmm. thing. Like the Roy kids are very much of that ilk of like we know what to say to sound smart, but they might not actually be like regularly consuming. I, well, I think that's true a lot of the time, but the Grey Gardens reference is like a, rel- so spot is, is a relatively deep cut Yeah, that uh, I think she, I think Shiv Roy has, has seen Grey Gardens. I love it. That's my story. I'm sticking with it. Okay. Thanks so much for listening. Next week, another episode of Decoding TV covering Succession. We'll see you then. Goodbye. Bye.